Hello, event hustlers, and welcome to Taxi Talk Unscripted. This is our last episode of 2016. So we're getting really close to the holiday season. I know a lot of you are starting to kind of wind down, but that's not how we work here at Taxi Talk. We are still going hard <laughs> towards the end of the year. And so we're really excited to bring you this last episode of the year, Taxi Talk Unscripted, with an amazing guest. For those of you who may not have joined us before, Taxi Talk Unscripted is where we like to take you behind the velvet ropes of the events industry. We love to have some conversations with the brands and the people who are in this industry and, and making things happen. And we talk about trends, best practices, horror stories, um, really anything that comes to mind. Um, this is definitely an unscripted podcast for sure. And I think it leads to some great conversations, um, educational, but also I think inspirational, motivational. There's there's so many things that we've learned over the course of the last 24 episodes that we have now hosted. Um, as planners ourselves, we're curating all this information that we think you should care about as an event professional. And we are proud to announce our uh, sponsor before we really officially kick it off. Taxi Talk Unscripted is proudly sponsored by Splash. They're the only all-in-one event marketing platform that your designer is going to love as much as you do. They're sponsored and used by awesome brands like Facebook, Budweiser, Red Bull. We have used them here at Taxi Talk. Trust us, you're definitely going to love them. So you can head over to splashthat.com to learn more, or you can also check them out at taxitalk.com. All of our podcast episodes have a little banner that you can click to learn more about Splash. Um, my name is Liz King. I forgot to say that, and I am here with Ed Waffles, who's now going to introduce our guest. Ed, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing fantastic, Liz. I can uh, I can smell the eggnog. Uh, okay. <laughs> Getting close. So, I'm exciting. Just lying. I don't even drink eggnog. It just sounds like a good thing to say. But uh, thank you, you everybody, for, for, for sticking with us through 2016 as we uh, figured out the text talk unscripted. Uh, we are excited for this last interview today, and uh, and we always try to one-up ourselves and, and bring you the most exciting of entrepreneurs and, and planners and just hustlers in our industry. So today we have with us uh, Navi Ganancial, who uh, we sort of met uh, during one of the events that we were doing years ago, and at the time she was working with Google. But uh, as we sort of mentioned before we got on air in discussion, that uh, she has lived many lives since and uh, and things that just leave us completely awestruck. So uh, we're excited to, to have you on the podcast today, Navi. Hi, everybody. Excited to be here. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, so... There's a lot of ground that we'd love to cover today, and uh, and currently I know the hat that you wear is the co-founder of the Founder Made Conferences, which uh, which helps uh, create lead generations uh, and deals for for VCs and investors. But uh, but I'm sure there's a lot more going on with that that uh, that we're excited to talk to you about today. So for our listeners, if you could just sort of uh, give us uh, a background, let's say maybe within the, like the last five or six years. Um, sort of where you were then and, and where you find yourself now. Awesome. Yeah, I'm like counting. I'm like five or six years. I'm never good at math. I'm like, where was I back then? <laughs> um, so I think in the beginning of six years ago, I was actually working as a um, director of outreach for a political nonprofit. Um, and so what we did was 
it was my job to kind of look at all the different minorities and what they were working on and figure out ways to kind of bring them together at this one conference that we were running annually. Um, and I, so I did that for about three years. And then I decided to take a little bit of a break from the political scene. And actually, I was found by Google on LinkedIn, which is a reason that everybody should have their LinkedIn up to date. Um, and they were working on a new project. And so they got me in for Google Glass, the wearable um, technology at the time. And I was working there doing events and helping with marketing. Um, and going just around the country kind of educating people on what this new wearable technology was. And so I was with Google for about two years. Uh, I moved from San Francisco to New York. So that's, you guys got me right as I had pretty much landed on the East Coast because I knew I needed to, to branch out and meet some more people. Um, so I did that for about two years. And then in about February of 2015, I left Google and it was just serendipitous that um, my co-founder and and I had reconnected. We actually met back in San Francisco years back, and she was um, going off on this new venture and really needing someone with the event background experience and someone who can do all the organization, the logistics, and the operations, and that is sort of my forte. So I've been doing Founder Made now for almost coming up on two years, and so it's been crazy. It's been a journey. It's been a struggle, but it's been amazing. Uh, so excited to talk to you guys more about it. So um, so exciting. I mean, I think looking back at like five or six years, it probably feels like so long because you've done so much <laughs> in those five or six years. I know, like you said, we kind of connected with you when you first got to New York. And then mostly through Facebook, we've kind of seen all the different things that you're doing. I've seen that you've done some pretty high level events. Um, and then you've worked on these companies, which I know building a company, it's it's much more than just the event itself or the event. Mm -hmm. um, so I can only imagine all the stuff that you've done and been through <laughs> in the last few years since we officially met you. Um, for FounderMade, can you tell us a little bit more about like what you do on a daily basis for FounderMade and, and what your conferences look and feel like? Yeah, so we are a... Um consumer product discovery event series. Um, so what that means is we bring together new companies um, with ones who have kind of sold and been acquired and made their millions to kind of give them a little bit of mentorship. But also we bring in together investors and VCs who are looking to um, connect with these new brands, whether just to start a relationship or as possible investments. Um, and so on a day-to-day -day basis, it's, it's right now because it is the end of the year. It's prepping for 2017. Um, right now, I'm in the middle of all of my negotiations with the various venues and contractors, just trying to lock in everything. So the great thing is we have um, a venue partner that we worked with in 2016, Spring Studios, who is going to be with us again for 2017. So my main venue, <laughs> I'm very fortunate that I don't have to worry about that because I know that's one of the biggest stresses, getting the right location at the right date for the right price. Uh, <laughs> Um, but since we've worked with them before, that's all been kind of squared away and thankfully already in the budget. Um, but right now it's just a lot of dealing with those kind of logistics. And since we are still also a very small team, um, I also run the hats of HR and accounting and, you know, updating the website every once in a while. So it's been a little bit of a crazy last few weeks, 
but we're really excited just as we're trying to get all the pieces together and ready to kind of hit 2017 with a bang. <laughs> now, how long ago did uh, did FounderMate come together? So FounderMate really started like January 2015 or maybe a little bit in December. So it started off as a 30-person dinner series um, where uh, my co-founder Megan was bringing together some friends um, to just kind of talk about technology and, or not technology, but just like whatever the vertical of the evening was. And so that was like products, that was food, that was technology. And then with a, a few others, we decided that, hey, let's, you know, kind of see about scaling this. Um, you know, because so, it's kind of unfair that only these 30 people get to learn from all of these founders who have built and scaled amazing companies. So how do we make it more accessible? And so our first conference, oh, I mean, like, can we tell a core story? So we were at one location, and then they decided that they had a bigger, someone was giving them a lot more money for that venue, so then they were going to give us to another hotel, a sister hotel of ours, which was not, we did not plan for that floor plan. But, you know, you're just like, oh, it's the first event, it's fine, we'll deal with it. Uh, we assume that 30 people, okay, that's what our average is, so at the most, we're going to get 150 people coming to this event. 300 people showed up that night, which to me, wow. all of a sudden, I started freaking out because I'm like, the fire marshal is going to come in here. We're going to get shut down. This thing is going to be a total disaster. But it actually, <laughs> it worked out fine. Um, and for us, that was that first aha moment that, okay, this is actually something and people are wanting it, and so now we just have to keep going with it. So in 2015, that was our first wellness conference in April, and then we're like, okay, what's another vertical that we can go into that isn't going to be so completely the opposite way that we're going to have no idea what we're doing. So then beauty we did in September of 2015, and then by that time, 2015 also was very much a test year. We didn't know what the format of the event looked like. We didn't know exactly what we were wanting to do with it, but by the end of 2015, we had decided hey, okay, we're going to actually make this thing happen. We're going to do it. Um, and so then we decided, okay. So we pitched spring. We started to get sponsors and, you know, vendors and investors all signed up. And then our first, we like to call it our first real conference actually happened on January 2016. <laughs> wow. Um you know, this is so thrilling because, I mean, we're in the events industry and planners as well, but, uh, but sometimes hearing these stories, it's like, you know, some people like to watch reality TV. I love to hear these uh, uh, stories from uh, from planners in our world, uh, especially the horror stories as well. But your horror story is sort of like, uh, I'm sure it's horrific in the moment, but the actual problem that you guys had is one of those that I think we sort of classify as like a good problem to have which uh, um, of just being oversubscribed, um, which makes me wonder. I mean, you guys sort of like put this thing together, and, and I know we can't get into full detail about it, but um, what what was it that you know that, that something that you guys had sort of just uh, started with and were were, were tinkering with? Um, you found that you had twice the amount of people to the tune of 300 uh, that showed up to this event because I know. You know, and talking to so many planners, that's probably one of the biggest pain points is actually getting butts and seats for the events that people labor over. But uh, what did you guys find? Was it sort of like an organic um, 
effect or 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 was there you know did you guys really um exploit all the marketing channels and and what have you to get uh that many people at the at the actual event yeah so for that first one it was for me i think straight word of mouth um because we had a, a host committee we had a few people who were emailing their friends on our behalf but there wasn't actually any real hardcore marketing and even to this day all of 2016, we've been utilizing our speakers and we've done a little bit of Facebook ads, but still we have not done that much marketing. So to us, um, the growth has been very organic just because people hear about us. And we still, it's the funny thing in the office is when we're having these calls and we're talking to like new vendors, um, you know, we'll mention, oh, we're from Founder Main, and it's still very incredible to us that people have said, oh, yeah, we've heard of you. Because <laughs> we're just like, how? <laughs> how have you heard of us? Because, again, we haven't really done the hardcore marketing. We haven't done um, too much, like, in your face, hey, come to our event. It's really been like, hey, these people are already coming. These are the speakers. Hey, can you tell your community about us so that they might, in case there's any aspiring or new entrepreneurs that might want to hear about your story, um, that are in New York uh, or whatnot, um, that might want to attend. And it hasn't been so hard of a push. Of course, you know, now for 2017, we have a really great strategy in place to make sure that we get, you know, even more of the right people in the room. But it's just been incredibly organic. And that's why I think for us that we decided to keep going with this thing past 2015 because we saw that there was a need. And we saw that people were wanting it and um, that they were showing up and they were telling their friends. And we even had one of our advisors, uh, she told us about a time when she was in a coffee shop. I believe this was like near the end of 2015. And and she looked over at a a girl in the coffee shop and she was actually looking at her newsletter. Um, Which for us, (laughs) we were like, how is that happening? Because we don't, like, where are these people coming from? Um, and so, of course, now, 2017, we're going to definitely go with a little bit more metrics and discover a little bit more about our demographic. But right now, it's been extremely organic, and we've been extremely grateful and, and privileged that it's happened um, that way so far. That's amazing. I mean, I think that's a similar story to how we've built Planner Tech, which is now TexyTalk.com and TexyTalk Live. We just, you know, it was a very similar format. Like, hey, let's just get a, a few people together in a room And then over time, it kind of builds. And I remember feeling the same way that you're talking about, like, wait, someone read our newsletter. (laughs) Like when it gets to the point where, you know, other people recognize you and you may not even know who they are, but they found you through, you know, somewhere on the internet or something. I mean, that's incredibly gratifying. It's also, I imagine, really scary to not, you know, I think organic growth is amazing. But then the question is, like, how do you, how do you exponentially grow something that you're not really sure how it's getting to where it is. Um, mm-hmm. Have you ever felt that way? Or there, are there any like challenges that you face that, that are, that kind of keep it real for you? <laughs> this is definitely still a startup. Yeah. I mean, for me, definitely having a strategy or, you know, your vision is good, but we all know that that vision never goes exactly as planned. So I think that you know, as we've been growing this thing, it still has been a lot of flexibility and a lot of testing. Um, you know, we're finally getting to a point where there are some strategy and structure that have been put in place that's helped us grow, you know, definitely in the last six months especially. 
but it's still coming at each day understanding that this day could completely go in a direction that I'm not expecting and I just have to be okay with that or I have to be able to just keep my head down and keep working. Um, I mean, that's been always like my philosophy in terms of when it comes to work is it's kind of funny because in the office especially, we have some really amazing wins that happen on a daily, on a weekly basis. And you can see it on everybody else's face. They're all, you know, there's lots of cheering and there's lots of excitement. And then everyone looks at me and I'm like the very like cool as a cucumber one. I'm like, of course, of course that was going to happen. I mean, like, it's not like, yeah, I'm not going crazy. I'm excited. I'm like, but this is just this positive and um, crazy optimistic kind of feeling that you kind of have to have is like, yes, there's going to be a lot of like bad stuff that happens and there's going to be a lot of crazy stuff that happens, but there's also going to be a lot of good and that's expected. Like it's, that's how startups, that's how events, that's how they all work. That I think particularly like our profession where you just have to keep steady because you know, it's going to go bad, you know, it's going to go good. Um, but if you can just kind of keep calm and just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing, I think that's the one thing that's helped us get to where we are. Absolutely. And uh, so I'm sort of interested in uh, in the transition period from, uh, from you know, from Google and, and working with the, uh, the Google Glass into sort of being a full-on event producer. And, and I don't even know that that title does justice to, uh, to to everything that you do, but just to relate sort of to this to this audience, what was that like? Um, that working in, you know in the in the Google world in a very like tech heavy space to to curating these sort of events. Um, talk to us a little bit about that uh, that transition. Yeah, well, I think the one thread throughout all of my work has been this production basis. I mean, even when I was in the political firm, yes, I did um, diversity outreach, but it was all for the purpose of this yearly annual conference that we did. So, of course, like once conference came around, you kind of switched those roles, and I was back into logistics and catering, and I'd have, you know, like one earpiece in one ear, and then like the back of house in the other ear, and then people were calling me on my cell phone for all the after party and the details on the logistics because I was in charge of that as well. So, like, that was very much in the political world. And then still in technology, is being able to access, yes, all this amazing new wearables and this new type of technology that was just coming out and people were doing amazing things, but still it was very much about customer focus and events and going to all these various conferences, participating in all of these events, which, again, you have to figure out your logistics. Do we have Wi-Fi? You know, like, do we have outlets to plug things in and charge things? Um, are we going to go into a different city? Do we have hotel rooms? Do we have, or, you know, like, do we, are we staying in cars? We're we just doing Ubers all the way. Um, so there's always been very much this production kind of focus in every work that I've done, regardless of the industry, whether it be political, whether it be technology, um, and now doing my own thing. So for me, that's, just always been a part of who I am. So there wasn't so much a massive transition in terms of what I was doing on a daily basis. It was more so it was just the different industry and having to, of course, you understand the language, you understand the type of customer that you're talking to. Um, but it wasn't so 
you know, one side to the other, thankfully. <laughs> sure. Now, can you talk to us a little bit about your time at Google? Um, I know that it's like an attractive company, and I think everyone wants to hear about what it's like to work at Google. Um, but also, I don't know if you know this, but every time we do a podcast, Ed stalks the person that we're interviewing. Um, and he sends out, he sends to me kind of a list of things to look at. And um, he showed me yesterday a video from Morgan. I guess you were in a video with Morgan Spurlock exploring Google Glass. Um, and I think, I mean, I think we met you in that context. You were like, you know, all about Google Glass. And that was like, it was just coming out, I think, around that time. I know that's not the only thing that you did there, but can you just tell people, you know, just a little bit about your experience at Google and some of the things you did there and maybe how that translated into what you're doing now? Yeah, okay. First of all, I never, like, similar that I never say stock. I just say I do heavy, heavy research. Every single right. time thank I thank you. I was going to say stock <laughs> is not the word for no, I think it's borderline stalker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I was like, and we might be the same because, you know, like, that's the thing. You never want to go into a meeting being blindsided or not knowing something. So it's just heavy research. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so during Google, I mean, Google Glass, and now I'm trying to also remember, I'm like, what am I still under NDA for? Um, <laughs> Google Glass really was like a startup within a very massive company and that was kind of the beauty of it because again I had always worked at smaller companies so yes it I was now having to meet you know tons of new people every single day I'm you know when I was in the political firm I literally was like working from home so now I had to actually get dressed and go to work which was a, a huge difference I'm like oh my gosh I can't wear the same pajamas like five days in a row um so it changed so much in the two years that I was there. You know, first it was just mostly about customer service um, and really getting people to understand what this new technology was and educating early explorers, which were the early adopters, um, going to different conferences. But then just like kind of as we progressed a little, it was also understanding and, you know, thankfully Google and the team and the amazing um, bosses and people that I worked with, they were able to kind of see different personalities and different things that each of us were good at. And for some reason, I have no idea why, but I seem to be very well, again, media trained, or as I like to say, I'm just very calm. Um, so I think that's also one of the reasons that they might have chosen me to do the Morgan Spurlock segment is because I'm very good at staying on point and staying like exactly what they want you to say is talking points because I don't deviate that much because I can stay very calm regardless of pressure, um, which, of course, is what all of us event planners have to do is, you know, when the client's yelling at you for three different things and you know that there's no way that you can do that, then maybe you'll see what you can do. It's that calm under pressure. And so that's when I kind of started to do not um, just the Morgan Spurlock segment, but I was able to do some for, like, oh, God, I'm totally going to blank on it, like ITV, which is, like, I think London's, one of London's main channels. Um, I did one for this one channel in Brazil, which was really interesting because I had no idea what she was saying because she would speak to the camera, she would speak Portuguese, then she'd turn at me, um, and we would have to do kind of, she would tell me in English exactly kind of what we were, I was supposed to be doing, but I actually never asked a, a native Portuguese speaker. I'm like, um... 
what exactly happened in this segment because I still have no <laughs> idea to this day. Um, but, you know, so the, it was just fascinating also being able to see the different segments of, you know, understanding Google from a larger perspective where, you know, all, a lot of the really hardcore new technology that's, of course, happening in Mountain View, there's a lot of agency and sales and going on in New York and being exposed to, of course, all these brands. I remember that also just the exposure of what Google Glass was able to give me was something where I, I still think it was kind of like this crazy ride and crazy dream that almost didn't happen. Because I remember there were certain days where I would go to work and I honestly had no idea what I was going to do. They'd be like, oh, just come prepared that you're going to have to explain and teach people about Glass, but you never knew exactly who that was going to be. So again, having that very calm and chill and, okay, I'm going to get the job done and I'm going to do it really well and it doesn't matter who's in front of me. Um, because there was one day, I, so I was like a photo, I was, took photography and journalism in college, and, you know, my boss came in and she's like, hey, can you do a fitting, you know, to get to someone their Google Glass? I was like, absolutely. Like, who am I, who am I doing it for? And she was like, Annie Leibovitz. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, yeah, we're going to go to Annie Leibovitz's house. And, like, she, she ordered a glass. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, all my, like, college dreams are coming true right now. Um, so we went to her house. And, like, she came down. I'm like, this is not real. This is so not real. And, of course, uh, you know, taught her how to use Google Glass, which was actually really funny because she actually still at that time was using a, a flip phone. And she's like, I typically don't really use technology, but it could be interesting for our, you know, our photo shoots and whatnot. Um, but, of course, smart me, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, I studied you in college. You're my favorite. I'm, like, so excited to be here. And then she gave me a signed book. And I'm, I literally went back, and I'm like, okay, you guys can fire me now. Like, Google, you've given me exactly what I needed, so I'm done. <laughs> um, but, again, it was, like, those days, you know, where the, you'd see, you know, one day it would just, you know, be this amazing teacher doing, you know, new things at NYU. Then you'd be talking with a CEO from a Fortune 500 company, to, you know, a child, you know, somebody in family who may have, like, an autistic teenager and they're just figuring out ways that Google Glass can help them. So just being able to deal with so many different personalities on completely different days, even completely different hours, um, and being able to switch from different mode and understanding how you're interacting with a new person every single day, every single minute, every single hour at that point, um, just because there's so many people interested in the technology, you know, it really did lend itself to to helping me, again, really cultivate this understanding of, like, how do we deal with people um, constantly and how are we always, like, making sure that their level of service is exactly what they need, not necessarily what the whole conference needs or whatever, but, you know, like, how do we try even when we have, like, 12 to 15 appointments in a day to, to really try to make each experience as, you know, personalized and customized and thoughtful as possible. So it was a crazy <laughs> – there's still times I'm like, what even happened? I mean, they sent me to, like, Europe for three weeks um, to teach a whole bunch of, like, parliament and um, journalists in Europe about the technology because I know people were starting to write articles, but they hadn't quite even seen the technology. Um, it was actually funny that I think it was the German press, they dubbed us the charm tour because we're just there to, like, charm everybody about Google Glass. 
when they were a little bit skeptical, but it turned out pretty well. But it was it was the most surreal experience. It was amazing, and I love that entire team, and they're still doing some incredible stuff. It's just it was fantastic, but also for me, I knew that I wanted to do something where I could kind of create it myself. Um, and so that's where that transition kind of happened into early 2015. Um, and excited that Sound Grenade was just right at that point. Um, it was Megan and another woman named May Long who were working on it. And uh, they kind of brought me in and all three of us were able to create something that has turned into an incredible force and it's, it's still growing and I'm very excited about it. So I'm just, I'm just so excited. It's like, you know, you know, you look back and especially thankfully like you guys, now that you're having me talk about it, I'm like, oh yeah, it was such a crazy experience. But I, you know, it's always, again, event players, we love these crazy experiences that just keep happening or that we put ourselves in these situations where they just keep happening like year after year, if not month after month. <laughs> Well, honestly, this is exactly what we dreamed about um, in putting together Text Talk Unscripted because, you know, when we throw these events, we get to have these sort of water cooler conversations and just offline conversations that, uh, that you know, only privy to the parties involved. And so we just hear so many incredible things like your story, and we just thought, you know, this would be a, a nice way to sort of, like, let everybody else eavesdrop in because I think, you know, more people need to realize who's out uh, in the field with them day to day, doing these incredible things. So yeah, this is uh, this is perfect for for what we intended for. Now, unfortunately, uh, we we generally try to uh, keep keep these uh, these podcast sessions uh, relatively brief. And the downside to that is that there's so much more that uh, that we would love to talk to you about. And I'll just kind of throw it out there: a part two, possibly uh, in 2017. <laughs> But uh, but uh, I guess sort of my final question uh, for now is uh, what did you think, uh, if you could remember back to 10-year-old Navi, what did you think or dream about becoming at that age? Oh, I always knew I wanted to be a boss. I wasn't sure exactly what that meant, <laughs> but I knew that I wanted to be the one in charge of the decisions. Um, so at that point, of course, you know, we're all about the fashion magazines. And so I thought that, of course, the ultimate boss was Anna Wintour. You know, I wanted to be the editor-in-chief of Vogue. I wanted to be able to dictate what exactly, you know, would be going on the pages. I wanted to dictate what people would be looking like. I wanted, I knew that I wasn't that person to be on the cover of things. I, I always liked a little bit more of the background and being able to make final decisions. Um, and so maybe not being the editor-in-chief is, is okay for me, but being able to be in a position where though I know all the energy that I put forth into something is actually going to make a difference. Um, and I think that's also very much our generation, where we want to know that the work that we're doing is going to have an impact, whether it's an impact just in that day, whether it's an event, it's an impact in our lives, it's an impact in years to come, it's a collective impact. Um, but, you know, being able to have some kind of choice in what happens and in what I do, I knew that that was kind of what I wanted to become. I just, you know, the easiest thing was to see what was right in front of me, which was, of course, the magazines. But now it's it's manifested itself into a a different type of choice. But I, 
I still get to kind of help and decide, like, who goes on stage, what the venue looks like, what the event looks like. And so it's, a, it's like an offline magazine. It's, you know, it's a, it's a different manifestation of what I was dreaming, but still got here eventually. <laughs> You're still the boss. That's what matters. <laughs> you are. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh, it's been it's been so good talking to you. We're unfortunately out of time, but um, we can't wait to see the extra things that you do in the course of the next five years. I mean, obviously, we are going to keep in touch with you more closely than that, but we will definitely continue watching your success. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time today to join us and and chat with us. It was um, great to catch up with you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everyone. Thanks to everyone listening for tuning in, too, and keeping us company. We always look forward to seeing you guys. And while this is our last podcast of 2016, it is not our last podcast. So we will see you um, bright and early in January 2017. Look out for our next episode with another amazing guest. And until then, while you have some downtime on the holidays, make sure you catch this episode and all of the past episodes on our blog and on TexiTalk.com. Um, This is also available on iTunes and Stitcher, so make sure you listen to all the episodes, tell us what you think and how we can improve for 2017. We look forward to bringing more guests in the new year and also catching up with some of the awesome guests like Navi that we really just don't get to talk to enough in 30 minutes. We will um, see you then, but until then, hustle hard.